0: Season two of the Dare to Believe podcast. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Christy. Are you excited about season two? I'm very excited about season two. We've got a lot of great guests for our listeners and interviews full of revelation, awesome stories and testimonies that will encourage and inspire you, our listener, for the more of God. So we want you to Dare to Believe.
1: I'm Christy Grainer, and I welcome you to our Dare to Believe podcast. I'm here with Rebecca Ribnick. Hi, Rebecca. Hey, Christy. Good to be here with you again. Likewise. And we are talking today to our good friend, Judy Slay. Hi, Judy. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We've known Judy for several years in lots of different ministry situations, but we're excited to be talking to you today about your new book, Uh, Help, I Have a Prodigal. And we'll get we'll get to that in just a second. But we'll get to that in a second. But first, I want people to know how we met. So I've been doing ministry for a lot of years in a ministry called Sozo. And many years ago, I invited Donna De Silva and Teresa Liebscher to come to the Twin Cities and do a training. And you attended that, and that's how we met. You.
2: Yes, and it radically shifted my prayer life, but also my opportunity to minister to other people. How so? Uh, within a month of. Uh, taking that prayer ministry I had an opportunity to pray with somebody and I was such a novice I just had the tools and all of a sudden God presented us opportunity and I invited my pastors to join in and it was so transforming that I had to quickly get mentored in order to release the ministry in the church I was in and all of the pastors started sending me their problems mm-hmm. that they didn't know how to solve because they saw such a supernatural change in the right. person that we ministered to. It they was saw amazing. the fruit
1: of what you were doing. They
2: did. That's awesome.
1: You know, I love that all you knew is the tools, and you used the tools, but that really you knew the Lord, and you knew the tools are designed to help us to bring more of the Lord's presence into an individual, help them to partner with the Lord to get healthy and healed. Jesus paid for them to be free. And people, we don't always know how to be free.
2: Yes, yes. And uh, it was just such a delight to see what God could do uh, when I just had them ask the right questions and then walk through the healing that they needed to do in forgiving and releasing uh, the wounding or the pains or the struggles that they had been operating in. That's great. mm
1: -hmm. And so you, at that time, were still in your career as a teacher. you want to talk just a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I was a full-time high school science teacher. So I did Yikes. sozo sessions maybe <laughs> once or twice a week. And uh, eventually God, after about six or seven years, God told me to open the door wide on prayer ministry. So six years ago, I took a bold step to open the door wide on prayer ministry, which meant I needed to quit my full-time job, which I love doing. Mm. And then I uh, Finding out what is next, and within six days, I was offered a job at Bethel University, being a part-time biology adjunct adjunct professor, professor, and that was amazing. Wow! And so I just you hadn't gone looking for that; it came to you, right? I had actually applied for it uh, a job earlier, and so they had my resume on file, and they just pulled it up, and here I was offered this position, and it fit perfectly uh, into. Uh, my life at that point, and I've been able to do prayer ministry sessions on campus at Bethlehem University, which has been a blessing, and uh, just have a really good connection with the campus ministry staff there.
0: That's awesome. I love that you took a step of faith, didn't quite know what things were going to look like, but you knew, a lot of times we know where we can't stay. We don't know exactly where we're going, but we just take that step, and God showed up right away.
2: Yeah, it was amazing. And uh, I've just seen grace after grace and uh, just heartfelt connections with people and loving them well uh, right where they're at. And that's what the ministry is all about, is ushering through love, healing and freedom and sometimes deliverance. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a powerful um, tool to just um, be the person that God has called you to be and the gifting. I feel like I've been made or created to do healing prayer. It mm-hmm. just energizes me, which is amazing. because mm-hmm. uh, other people it exhausts, but for me it energizes me I'm and I know healed. I'm in my yeah, sweet spot it. of yeah. ministry.
0: That's <laughs> uh I love what the Lord does and it's so powerful, but it's not not how I'm wired. So I get that, but it's so fun to see to see you don't get tired of the breakthrough. You right. don't get tired of seeing people set free and walking in their identity and calling and yeah.
2: Yeah, it's so fun.
0: That's and so you said the word deliverance, and I know for some of our listeners, that's kind of a scary word. Maybe not one they they use very often. Can you go a little bit more into what you mean by that, or what that looks like?
2: Yeah, most of the time, deliverance happens just as we release things. Uh, it's like a divine exchange. As we release fear, uh, there may be a spirit of fear behind that. But if we release the reason why that fear is there, fear needs to leave. Mm-hmm. And so it's and when then we ask for the presence of God to be ushered in, and it's a very simple and quiet way. Of uh, bringing freedom, and we don't know what deliverance really looks like. I mean, in the context of day to day, sometimes it may be, oh, this harassing voice is on the outside of me, or it may be a real root inside that has just been a pattern of living mm-hmm. that is really taken residence, and so. As a deliverance ministry, I don't look like, okay, so what level of deliverance is happening? I just do what the Lord is doing. Or names of demons or any of that stuff. Right. Because you
1: do it the way we read Jesus doing it in the Bible. Right. Oh, let's just bless and love this person and bring healing and remove the right that ungodly spirit has to mess with this person. Exactly. And there's different tools, different ways, different things, but it's all about him when it comes down to it.
0: Yeah, because at the core, Satan's a lawyer. He's looking for legal access. He's looking for ways in, and through fear, agreement, unforgiveness, things like that. We actually give him access, a legal right to be there. So you're taking, you're taking that right away, right, and releasing heaven. Yeah, which is really fun. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> heaven,
1: overcom- heaven overcomes evil every time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And. uh Can you tell us just a little bit about your faith walk? So you have been a Christian forever, and this was a big change. You'd already been a Christian, raised five children in the Christian faith. But how did you come to know the Lord yourself?
2: I've actually been raised in a Christian environment, and I always had an amazing, vibrant expectancy of Jesus coming through, even as a Hmm. young child. And sitting in a traditional Lutheran church, they would dim the lights. And I would expect them to be doing that because Jesus would come walking down the aisle with his donkey, of course, <laughs> at any moment. And uh, there's just a progressive uh, growth and release throughout my life. You know, com- You know, I went through commu- um, confirmation. confirmation, you know, and that was really powerful. I was scared to take communion the first time because I just felt like the power of God was going to hit me. And then over time, uh, we started um, getting... Exposure to the Holy Spirit, and that it was a charismatic movement, and uh, so it was... Within the Lutheran Church? Within the Lutheran Church. Wow. And so we went to... Was that the
1: Lutheran renewal stuff in Minnesota? Exactly. That was a
2: powerful move of God. Yes, it was. Yeah. And so we went to a Lutheran Church that partnered with that, and then... um, We transitioned because we moved to another location. We transitioned to an Assembly of God church, so I have exposure to that. And then we transitioned to a Baptist church to get our kids involved in missions, which was a very dynamic and powerful part of life where the kids were really involved in missions going overseas. And then we now are at a non-denominational church in Elk River called Living Waters Church. So I've been seen and dabbling in all sorts of different <laughs> denominations, and I just feel like I have a heart and a ability to bridge uh, that de- denominational bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just, the Lord
1: loves His church. Yes, yes. and each His aspect
2: church. has mm-hmm. uh, some really powerful concepts.
1: And you're, yeah. you're talking Christian churches, every single
2: one. Every single one, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's great. And so... After I knew
2: you, I know that you you raised five children. Yes. How many of them are now living abroad? One is living in India, and then I have one living in Seattle, another one living in Los Angeles, and two here. Okay. So. And one of them became a prodigal. And yes. It was very painful for you. Yes, and um, prior to that, I had been doing ministry with prodigals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Routinely, because we have people from Teen Challenge that come for healing prayer. And then I was mm-hmm. ministering to those people that are heartbroken because they had prodigals. Yeah, And then I'm like, okay, so I'm thinking I'm understanding that until I had my own prodigal situation. And it started a number of years ago, and our son uh, was making choices after going to Christian University. Of hanging out with different social elements that started drinking and partying, and as a result, he was making poor choices. And I warned him. I'm just like, "Uh, Dustin, are you drinking more days than you're not? And or, you know, kind of hold it back. Are you really in control? And he would just say, Yes, I'm completely in in control of my life. It's not a big deal. You know, you don't need to be concerned. You know, always this dispelling my concerns. And then uh, one day in the middle of March, he uh, was driving home because he was living with us, trying to pay off his school loans because he had transitioned after being in the uptown area. He transitioned back home to pay those things off, and he called and he said, uh, "Dad, I was picked up with a DUI in the mm. you know on my way driving home, driving under the influence. Right." Mm-hmm just so, a serious thing. Yeah. And so we realized like he did not know the gravity of his problem. And we knew that he had a blind spot in that area, but it all of a sudden became revelation to him. And he swore that he wasn't going to drink again, but he didn't change his friend group or any of his lifestyle choices. And so we saw him slowly going down, you know, and not and compromising things again. And yet at the same time, we had set up boundaries like um, we have to drive you to and from work, you know, because he doesn't have his license, and uh, you're going to have to have friends come and pick you up rather than uh, us transporting you wherever you want, and you're going to have some sort of sense of accountability to us. And so those were some boundaries that we put in place during that time. We had him actually navigate uh, the the charges against him and make his own choices and because he was 26 years old at that time that seemed to help a lot because that took the burden off of us but in the midst of that it was hard because all of a sudden we were supposedly this perfect family and now we have a flaw in the in one of our sons and how
1: did that feel to you
2: oh it was really shaming And really Mm -hmm. like, okay, we thought we had everything, you know, in place and, you know, had safeguarded things in prayer. We did all the right things. Exactly. Yeah. And yet it happened. And we can't control our children's choices. You know, we can't watch them 100% of the time. Um, And uh, he actually kept some of that from us. You know, if he was really transparent, we would have seen warning signs and, you know, counseled or gotten him help before that. But... It was his choice to cover it up. So should we feel guilt, shame, and condemnation due to that? Not necessarily. But you did. But I did. It was painful.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so we had to, I used Sozo healing prayer tools on myself, Mm. you know. um, What lie am I
1: believing? Yeah.
2: What lie am I believing, you know. And then forgiving.
1: And the, the reason we do that question, what lie am I believing, and you ask the Lord to help you with it because you have an enemy who is really good at lying. Yes. And lies get in, and we don't even recognize them as lies. But the Lord always knows that it's a lie. So that's why we need his help to say, all right, what lie, Lord, am I believing? Because if I, if I know it's a lie, I don't. I could repent for believing that lie and agreeing with it. But if I don't even recognize it, then you just go along life with a foundational lie in your heart. Right. And it causes
2: all kinds of garbage. Yeah. And in this book, there is a thing called the Johari Window, which is a business concept uh, that... It's like there's known information by everybody, like height, weight, education. Then there are areas where we have a blind spot that other people see. And and we don't see. And we don't see. And then there's other areas where we cover up the woundedness. And we just, like, pretend, hope that nobody finds out. But we react irregularly out of that woundedness and may wound or hurt other people Mm -hmm. or, you know, Allevi- alleviate those pains uh, that come due to that woundedness.
1: Yeah, I learned about the Johari Window in college. I have a psychology degree. I oh. undergraduate is in psychology and Bible, so I yeah. I know about as a psychology thing, yes. but psychology
2: and business and yeah. And what I so love about Sozo is there's a, a window that says it's only God knows those things. And how many times do we do prayer ministry and all of a sudden they just like I didn't know this about myself, mm-hmm. yeah. and yet they. Um, then, it's affecting them in a sure. huge way. Yes, and mm-hmm. so they release it, and all of a sudden they get this sense of like freedom that they never even knew. But the reason why I put the Johari Window in there is because we always try to look back and try to figure out, okay, what caused this, you know? And mm-hmm. there, that's our gut reaction. And part of it is um, there's so many contributing factors, and we only know two, maybe two aspects of that. And God has the whole picture which is the Johari window. And so instead of looking back, let's, let's deal with the past, let go of all of the wounds and lies and hurts and pains and all the emotions that we have accumulated. And let's then almost draw a line in the sand and say, okay, so the things of the past are not going to be planted in the future. Mm-hmm. And that is even true of worry, of fear, of anticipating strife if we could do that daily wouldn't that be life transformative to the person that is walking uh, as a parent through that prodigal situation or even as a spouse this book is written not only from the parent prodigal parent perspective but to anybody who has a brother, prodigal son or brother sister you know mom and dad um, so it's very loosely done so
1: uh, unpack that just a little bit more so if I had a prodigal spouse and I wanted to do this prayer that you're talking about with the Johari window on a day-to-day basis
2: using this things I don't know about me. How, would that, how might that look? Uh, that would look like uh, consecrating the time with the Lord and asking for his heart uh, to be revealed. Like, how have I wounded the person that has left me? And then, and what am I not seeing in that? Yeah. Yeah. And then what has caused that, my reaction, that I need to repent of, but I also need to forgive them. Mm -hmm. And And so you're asking the Lord to show you these things because you're not necessarily seeing it for yourself. Correct. And sometimes we need to have that unpacked in the context of an official prayer ministry session, but other times uh, God Mm -hmm. does a really good job. Like, all of a sudden, you're believing this lie. And it's just like, oh, my. And it's an opportunity just to say you're sorry. Yes. And and the Lord takes you at that. Right. He's
1: so forgiving.
2: Yeah. And then we get a renewal of the mind. We get a whole new perspective. Yeah. It's like, how do yeah. I walk this out? And this is what's wonderful about this book is every section has a takeaway. Like, after dealing with fear, what should I do the next time I, I think fear is going to invade on me? Or after I release disappointment, um, what do you want me to know uh, about my situation right now? Or grief? When is the season of grieving? What am I supposed to still grieve about, and what do I need to release in grief? Because sometimes we dwell on grief. Yeah. Uh, and we start thinking of all the I should have's or the I could have's, uh, when the reality is that is all past. hmm That's hard, yeah. Yeah. So what then happened in your family? Yeah, so in the midst of going through the DUI and waiting for the the results of a trial. I ended up going to a trial. So it actually was a trial. He decided Mm -hmm. to go to trial and contest his DUI for a number of reasons. And we just let him do it. Uh, And in the middle of that, a woman came up to me and said, I believe that you have a troubled loved one. And that if you start praying God's declarations for that situation, they will come true. And I'm like, Wow, God is coming through. He's speaking through somebody else. I am going to go home and make those declarations. <laughs> so what did I do? I went home and made a whole list of what I wanted to have happened. I started praying them. I was really excited. And then a couple of days later, I got the revelation. Those are my declarations. They're not God's.
0: Yeah. And
1: how do you know the difference?
2: Ah, uh, Mine were like um, wanting to fix the situation. Yeah under a certain time constraint <laughs> with a certain expectation of outcome that was my idea so that, you know, it was all earthly. It was all out of and man. in a
1: way, it, it's, it's not rooted in anything bad because you wanted your pain to go away. You wanted your son's pain to go away. Pain is awful. Yes. And who wants to prolong the pain any longer than you have to?
2: Yes.
0: Uh, that definitely happens a lot, though, where we... we well I'll let you finish your story Go before ahead. I chime in but I, I I can see where this is headed and that there's going to be a little correction on what you're what you're praying for yes because we do that so often I think people take prophetic words or they take scripture or they just be like this is what and they actually haven't checked in with the Lord that they, they just are we I've done this where I'm just making declarations based out of what I want to see happen and even out of some pain a lot of times out of pain yeah. out of the hurt spots in our heart which is, Dangerous, And then we get embittered when we don't see the Lord do it. Exactly. But you said, but this is the word that I, you know, and it can be a big, big messy thing. Yeah. A lot of people end up in a spot where they're
2: disappointed with the Lord because of it. Yeah, it's not name it, claim it, that's for sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually, so I had to um, go through some more inner healing and mm-hmm. release more you forgiveness yourself. myself mm-hmm. and, and uh, ask for the Lord's heart from my son. And my son, Dustin, uh, ever since he was a little boy, he just operated out of Jesus's heart. He would find lonely people at McDonald's and want to befriend them. He would bring extra lunch to people that didn't have sufficient lunch because their family couldn't afford it. Uh, He would befriend people in college that seemed like outsiders. And so there was a pattern of that. And so as I asked for God's declarations for my son, he said, I want you to claim that he's going to operate out of Jesus's heart. Mm. Very simple. And yet it's just like, well, that doesn't seem like it's going to solve the solution, (laughs) you know, in this crisis. But, um, that was what the Lord wanted me to pray. And then uh, there was another declaration that this DUI would not be on his record long term. And within, uh, a couple of weeks, we had another huge crisis where my son went to Las, uh, Las Vegas with some friends and, uh, He made a lot of poor choices, but because they were happening outside of our perusal, we didn't know exactly what he was doing. He came home. He said he was really tired, and uh, he uh, then took what he thought was an energy pill, and he believed Satan planted it on him, and I don't question that. He just has no clue how that got got into his possession. Uh, But he woke up in the middle of the night, Oh, there's a lot more to the story. You'll have to read it in the book. Uh, but uh, he woke up in the middle of the night, and he was uh, incoherent. And for three to four days, he was in and out of reality. He was seeing uh, demonic manifestations, and he's actually seen demons before in his life. He was seen, and he had angelic encounters, and he even had an uh, encounter with Father God. And people would say, how do you know what is hallucination versus uh what's really going on, and I just had to trust, like, the Holy Spirit of what to pray for, what to pray against. And uh, there's a really powerful story where he um, he was seeing demons running into his, or coming into his room, and he said, Mom, come in here. And I was in the next room pricing things for a garage sale. Okay, big deal. But... Um, I came in and he said, There's demons coming in, pray against them. So we prayed. And just with my faith, you know, they, and his faith combined, we told them to leave and they left. I started singing Amazing Grace in the next room, pricing the garage sale items once again. And all of a sudden, I stopped and my son starts speaking, um, singing Amazing Grace. And he can't really carry a tune, but he was singing it at the top of his lungs. And then um, he said, Mom, come in here. And he said, I, I knew de- demons existed, but when you started singing, the demons came back to mock me, and all of a sudden there was an angelic realm that started singing with you, and they enc- encouraged me to join in with them. And so I did. And the demons left. And it's just like, how can you manufacture that in an imagination? You can't. And so those are just things that we just really hung on to during this really traumatic time.
1: And there, how long did that go on?
2: So for four days. Um, wow. We did really... Were, we were you afraid p-
1: for what might be going on
2: with your son long term? Exactly. We didn't oh, know yeah. if he would ever even come out of it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, he was hallucinating uh, threats to his life or threats to our life. He would just out of the blue try to pick up the phone and... Um, Get emergency help. He would run out. It was just like for four days we he was not no the right rest. Mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. wow, it was scary. That'd be really scary. Yeah. So after that was over, he realized that he had come to the end of himself. Uh, he recognized that there was force of of evil that were trying to destroy his destiny, and so he recommitted his life to Christ uh, and turned away from all of its. Previous friends for a season. Uh, he actually uh, sought counsel from a number of people. One of them being our pastor, uh, and uh, there was a lot of people that came alongside him. And we did some healing prayer, you know, in the moment uh, as we were going through that uh, with our son too. And it was a very humbling time, but it was a transformative time. So by the end of uh, this, we had to walk through um, more. Healing, as far as mental mentally, uh, he was just like really uh, struggling, uh, just because of the consequences of the drugs in, in his system. And at one point, we even had to take him to the hospital because he was so incoherent that we had him admitted till he could come home. So it was really scary and experiencing that gave me the reality of how scared some people are it's so interesting as a prayer minister you can say yes i can minister this family that's really hurting but to actually live Mm -hmm. just a short little snippet of their reality Mm. uh, it was the impetus for me to write a book to help people Mm -hmm. navigate that emotional need for healing in the moment and on the journey and he did come out of this he did And he's this vibrant young man, just loves the Lord. He really does operate out of Jesus' heart.
1: And how many years ago was this?
2: Uh, Four. Okay, so so for for four years he's been doing great. Yes. He got married. He got married. And he's doing well. He is doing well. He's even going to graduate school to get his MBA. So that's that's amazing. So out of this pain
1: and the journey of all this you wrote a book and what was your heart for writing the book
2: after this after my personal experience i just i started crying almost for all those family members that actually have prodigals uh, that have no solutions and don't know how to navigate it Mm -hmm. and they're pleading with god for something to happen and their their prayers they feel are like hitting a ceiling and that is not true Uh, Part of this book is talking about how God is trying to navigate them back to him, and yet they keep making those poor choices. It's like he keeps presenting opportunities. Maybe it's an opportunity to get get free or to actually have a God connection with somebody, and they just turn aside and ignore it. And so part of that was asking God's perspective and helping them learn God's perspective and how to navigate this journey in a partnership of our powerful prayers and also um, loving them well. Uh, As a parent of a prodigal, there's certain areas where you start tending to guard your heart, especially if there's strife in the household. And so you start guarding your heart, and as a result, you can't really love them with a full and pure heart. And so part of this book is dealing with those heart issues and releasing all those things so that your heart can be open to love again. I had a, a friend that actually has a son who um, has been living in an alternative lifestyle for many years. And she she went through this book, and she says, now I can really, really love him. Mm. And we are so excited for what God is doing to just love him well through us. And she said, we expect um, just a heart connection every day. And there's just this new uh, revelation of like... This is a fun journey with God rather than feeling uh, demoralized or hopeless.
0: Yeah, there's hope. That's what I'm what I'm hearing you say. Is exactly. there's hope in that situation now.
1: Yeah. yeah. How would you suggest that people use this book and who would you suggest read the book? Or use the book in a group or a
2: class or Yeah. I've I'm releasing a number of different things. One of it is just to go through the book it's yourself. I am also working at developing a private Facebook group uh, that can we can actually have dialogue as a group about our prodigal situations and and share prayer requests. But it would be definitely under a private group. I am also doing a eight week study coming up at Lakeside Church in Cambridge that starts on September eleventh. People can join if they want.
1: Cambridge, Minnesota. So okay. if you're in Minnesota, <laughs> north of the Twin Cities, or even if you want to drive
2: further, but right. And so that's going to be a small group setting where we're going to break the group. The each week we're going to take a section of the book and cover it, and just lend su- prayer support and dialogue because so many people feel they're the only one. Two thirds of every audience have prodigal sons and daughters in a Christian church. Wow! They say that uh, right now, uh, that eighty to ninety percent of eighteen-year-olds are leaving the church as soon as they leave home. Mm. And so if we can... So say that again, 80 to 90%. Correct. Wow. And 80% of the millennials have already left the church and have no church affiliation right now. And so it's a devastating, it's an epidemic, and yet we so hide it because we take the blame, we associate shame with it, because so often we take the credit for our children's successes. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we have to take the blame for their... Faults or their failures, when and neither one is our.
0: That's a really good point, actually, because I, yeah, I don't think that's ever really addressed, or I haven't heard it addressed in a sermon or anything about about the. Can you d- dive into that a little bit more about taking our children's successes and and the blame? And I'll just say, like when when I teach on physical healing, we, you know, a lot of times people understand that when someone's healed, they didn't do anything, but they but they think that when someone isn't healed. It's their fault. I'm like, well, if if you don't get the success, Jesus gets the success,
2: then you don't get the blame either. Yes, exactly. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, my son got on the Aon roll. Oh, he's the quarterback of the football team. Oh, my daughter lettered in tennis. You know, oh, my daughter covered two areas or Two levels of piano successfully. Oh, my daughter's a beautiful artist. And we take all of that as our own credit. And we actually talk about those things. You know, it's part of our identity And we want to
1: be able to cheer them on without getting prideful. Like it's our doing that they're doing great. So there's a balance there, isn't there?
2: Yeah. And so some of it is just like, if we could uh, change it to the context of like, oh, I, I'm amazed at my God, my daughter's God-given ability in tennis, or I'm amazed at how my son is so coordinated; he can throw that ball as a quarterback and hit the mark. And so, when we do take that, and we, d- it's a societal thing; mm-hmm. um, it's part of our identity, it's t- part of our conversations, and there really is no fault in it unless we start taking credit for all the faults and all the... Mm -hmm. And so, well, I think there is probably some fault to it because it's pride, you know. Sure.
0: Well, it's an identity thing, too. Your identity is being found in somebody else, and if your identity is being found anywhere outside of Christ, there's going to be problems. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And what it comes down to, I think, is all of this keeps us from loving them the way we Mm, need to love them, and that's where the healing comes from.
2: Right. And I just had this profound... um, I don't know. It was profound to me. Malachi 4, 6, uh, it's talking about the last days and the spirit, um, spirit of Elijah is going to be coming. And then it says, And the hearts will turn the, fa- the hearts of the fathers will turn to the children, and the children's hearts will turn to the fathers. And so if we can heal our heart and turn our heart truly with the love of Christ to them, I sense that they're going to actually sense that there's something different, and mm. because of the, this friend uh, that's saying, my my son doesn't really know what to do with this love change that we've been showing him, uh, that they're going to actually be drawn back to us. And then the power of a parent's declarations. That's another whole piece that's just amazing. I, we always say that declarations only go through, you know, to the point of uh, where the sound barrier ends. But I believe those Those declarations go into the heavenlies. Uh, They go actually to where our son or daughter is or a prodigal is. And they actually, there's something going on that will, those declarations are then administrated by the Lord. If they're from the Lord, they're going to be administered through his work Mm -hmm. to bring them to reality.
1: And, you know, I have noticed, and I'm sure you have too, in doing the kind of ministry that we do, that people are very, very afraid and intimidated by generational curses. But the enemy only is able to do a counterfeit of what the Lord has done. And what the Lord has done is that generational blessing. And you read about generational blessings over and over in Scripture. And yes. that's what we are called to do as mothers and fathers and as family members is release blessings over our family that is very powerful. But we ourselves have to be healed in order to know how to release those blessings and that it's done in love. Yeah. But we need to be more in tune with the Lord than we are afraid of the enemy. Exactly. And realize he wants to bless our family line. There are powerful things on our family line. How do we agree with heaven over our family line?
2: And that, that has such an influence. Yeah, and yeah. there is a part on spiritual warfare offensively and defensively in this. And uh, sometimes we neglect to really call the enemy out, especially with the societal standards that are so different than the Christian faith right now. Uh, that we uh, acquiesce to the societal standards, and in essence, we don't give the enemy a traffic ticket. We don't say, "Oh, this is not something that you know you not are allowed watch. to do in our yeah. family." Uh, but that's hard as a parent, and it, I know we did it, and we were just like, "We're the abnormal family," and our kids are saying, "Well, you, nobody else does that," you know. And the reality is, they weren't, but we felt the conviction by God to actually uphold those boundaries. So we made boundaries for that, and um, and as a result, we have children that you know we're blessed to call amazing because we had some, you know firm boundaries. And there is a section in analyzing, what you know, are my boundaries failing? Are my boundaries good? Am I uh, are, um, am my boundaries there, but I'm not enforcing them? And
1: uh, <laughs> that's a painful one.
2: Yeah. And yeah. the other piece is, what boundaries does God want you to make? And which ones do you make out of fear that really um, shut down that relationship? And so there's so many uh, thought-provoking pieces in this book to really ask for the Lord's guidance and heart and all of that.
0: I think that probably goes both ways. Which which boundaries have you made that are not the Lord's, but also which boundaries does he ask you to make that that you haven't been willing to for the healing that you need?
2: Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if we have boundaries and actually written down and really you know, the if-then statements, if this happens, then this is going to happen, then we don't have to own all the emotional duress uh, when we have to force that boundary because it was their choice to breach that boundary, and they knew what the consequence was. Hmm. And so if we then give in and say, okay, we're going to make an exception to the enforcement of this, we're showing extreme grace And we should let them know that. But a lot of times those boundaries are for the safety of the family. They're for the safety of ourselves. They may be for the safety of that individual. And so it's really important to be able to have those down. Judy, what would you say is one thing that gave you the greatest
1: breakthrough as you walked on this journey? A breakthrough? Like you you prayed. You've known how to pray forever. But you prayed. And it felt like you were hitting up against something. What was that point of breakthrough
2: in your prayer life? That's a good question. That is a really good question. <laughs> Let me think. Um, I believe the greatest point of breakthrough was actually um, partnering together with my husband, Daryl in prayer and declaration, and uh, to knowing that God was going to navigate and that uh, there was going to be an end product. And mm-hmm. we didn't know that at the end. But we knew that God is sovereign, and he's doing everything he can to win your prodigal home. And okay. so how do we partner yeah. with that in prayer? Yeah,
1: because we can always pray
2: alone, but where two or three are gathered, there's more power there. Right. It's exponentially. And there was times where we got counsel from people. How do we navigate this? This is all unknown territory. And I didn't hit the reality of that until it hit home. And uh, so we went and saw counsel from our pastors. We asked uh, for a... Blanket statement to pray for our family because we were going through a, a very difficult dis, um, journey. And so, and then we asked counsel from people that had um, experience in drug and rehab. And then we had to take all of that to the Lord to try to discern what is right for us mm-hmm. because everybody's situation is different, and mm-hmm. God knows how to navigate that. And that's what's really important is that we can't take a template, and I don't give a template in this book, on how to walk all of this out because God knows the perfect solution, and we just have to really stay connected with Him.
1: And that really is the source of
2: all healing, is knowing how to connect with the Lord. And you talk about that as well. Yes, yeah. yes. And some of the declarations at the very end of the book are for us. Like Isaiah 26, three, the steadfast of mind he will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in thee. And so I'm like, give me a steadfast mind. Mm -hmm. Give me a mind that's even keel. Uh, Give me the ability to understand my authority as a daughter of the most high God. And so those were just declarations I would make for myself. There was declarations I would make for my son uh, for his protection. There was the declaration of his identity statement. You know, he was going to be following after Jesus' heart. And then there's also declarations that are kind of counteractive to what we see going on. An example in the book is let's say a wife starts spending more time at work than at home. And so the husband is seeing this, and he's just like, she loves work more than she loves her family. So I'm going to start making the declaration that her heart would come back to home as the Lord wants her to. And it came to fruition. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I
1: think it's important your your situation, you were praying for your prodigal son, but it affected his siblings as well. So people who have prodigal siblings to be praying for them and how to how do you navigate through this and keep your heart open towards them in the process if your spouse is prodigal how do you pray for them if your parents have got have become
2: prodigal i mean the reality is it affects all of our relationships exactly it's like uh i've had families where a prodigal doesn't come to a wedding Hmm. or to a funeral ouch or to christmas Hmm. or how do you navigate christmas because of blank yeah. And so mm-hmm. all of those things are really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. And there has to be a lot of forgiveness, but then it's like, how do we navigate this based on what the Lord wants us to say, but also be resilient against people's judgments of what mm-hmm. we're saying is the right thing to do mm-hmm. in this and situation. And
1: again, not being honest about our own pain because there is pain and you have right. to be honest about it and process that in a healthy way. And so th- we need help. This is just a big process and we need to, we need each other to get through this in, in a healthy way. Yeah. So people who are looking to do this, you can get if they're in the Minnesota Twin Cities area, they can go to your class, um, at either your your church or in Cambridge, Minnesota, which are mm-hmm. coming up in September, September 11th to October 30th, I believe. Of 2019, yep. yes. And we'll be hoping to have you down at Dare to Believe to do some things, but there's a lot of people who will be hearing this who just need to take the book, and they could do a small group, they can partner with other people, they can do a class on their own without you being the teacher, although it's wonderful when you are
2: the teacher, but yeah, that's and available I, to them. I'm actually working on a small group study guide to go with this. Very cool. And so that's going to be released, I hope, in the spring. I actually have two test groups going through it uh, this fall.
1: And how does someone get on your, Facebook, your private Facebook page if they're interested?
2: It, it, my private uh, or my author page is Judy R., Slay, S-L-E-G-H. There's no I in that sleigh. Notice that. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's author and speaker. So I do do speaking engagements if they want to invite me to the area. And I also do seminars uh, that I've developed that are very effective for small groups. And then uh, I also have a website, uh, judyrslay.com And uh, I'm also on Instagram, judyarslay. Everything's judyarslay. Okay. S-L-E-G-H. And S-L-E-G-H. And they can even search by Help I Have a Prodigal. Uh, that's help a nice I Have a
1: Prodigal is the name of the book? Yes. But you, yeah, and you
2: How to Maintain Hope and Healing When the Loved One Has Gone Astray. Mm-hmm. And that book can be found on
1: Amazon. It can be found at Barnes & Noble. Is that Barnes & Noble online? Barnes
2: and Noble online, I think,
1: yeah. right now. And so then, probably not walking into a store and asking for it. Or they could probably they could
2: order it for you. They could order it. for okay. you. Okay, and on Christian book distributors. Yes, and also Redemption Press. Okay. So many, and then it is also in a Kindle form. So they, but I would suggest the paperback because there's a. It's almost like a workbook, a journal guide, and so there's actually activities or things that they information they accumulate over time, that is, uh, helpful in making the declarations at the end of the book. Wonderful.
1: Yeah. All right, so Judy, we are just going to pull on some of those amazing testimonies that you have of how your book has impacted people. So, what's what are some of the
2: wonderful stories you have of how people have used this book and seen breakthrough? Yes, it's been amazing. One of them is a woman that bought the book the first week that it was out. Uh, she actually went through the book and she was really excited about the healing and she would touch base with me every week when she was in church and then about a month after she uh, had been starting to read the book she came up to me and she said you wouldn't believe what happened and I said tell me the story and she said well I haven't had contact with my son or my grandchildren for over two years and this week I was able to have a lunch with my grandchildren and it's a miracle and it's because of this book and she has been even working through the book, and she says, "I I need to go th- re- go through some sections." But you mentioned that in the book that my I might have to deal with that, and it's been so helpful. It's been transformative. Another person uh, has been uh, working through the book, or I have uh, other illustrations of making effective declarations, and one of them is where. Uh, a couple actually put their hand in a Bible and that it's engraved with their child's name on it and they start calling that child home. And that actually happens. Uh, another testimony from the book that I give about the power of declarations or actions or prophetic actions that we do because God prompts us to, uh, is a couple that had a shofar in their home and they blew it and said, come home son, come home. And within days he came home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had interactions with people that uh, recently I was at a event in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where people would be in tears because of the power of a simple prayer, of laying hands on this uh, book and just saying, I know that there's hope in this book for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited for what God's going to do. It's his act to follow up with what he wants to do, and yeah. I'm just partnering with him, and yeah. I'm excited.
1: And that's the beautiful testimony of it's not just about... Um, reading the book it's about working through the tools that you have in the book that will bring breakthrough in your spiritual walk
0: and in bringing your prodigal home exactly yeah so judy say say someone's listening to this and they've got a prodigal family member um, where do they start this is all new information for them they've been in a lot of pain missing their loved one
2: probably feeling some guilt and shame where do they where do they begin I would say get the book yeah. <laughs> um, because it just is a very uh, compelling book of explaining all of those unanswered questions. Like, what do I do with regret? You know, what mm-hmm. do I place at the foot of the cross that I don't own anymore? Hmm. How to deal with do- disappointment. Uh, so I would say ordering the book and then finding out. Uh, I think there's very a great deal of power in finding other people that are prodigals in their Church, and that's why I'm making a small group guide because of a seminar. People, after being together in a small group, didn't want to leave their group after they had met for a period of eight hours for a seminar. So, there is a very, um, very powerful um, blessing that comes from sharing, you know, the hurts and struggles and being able to pray for each other in those times of crisis. And then um, Uh, Join my Facebook group. That's going to be launching soon, Uh, and um, there's other things that I'm dreaming about that I probably don't have permission uh, by the Lord, or I haven't nailed down enough to actually. But if
0: but stay in touch with you and watch what you're up to,
2: and then the Facebook group will be made privy of all the new things being launched. Sure.
0: So, and what I'm hearing you say when you say that is, first off, there's hope. Yes, there's hope. Secondly, here's get some resources. And here's a you you made this resource intentionally because there wasn't anything like this out there. And get out of isolationism,
2: find connection and community. Yes. And the big thing um, also underlying in this book is God has not abandoned you, Hmm. and He hasn't abandoned your prodigal. Yeah. And He's doing everything He can. So, how do you partner in prayer and declaration? to usher in what he wants to do and how to stay healed in your heart so that you can actually be ready for when they do come home. Yeah. In kind of the prodigal of Luke 15, the Father was ready to embrace him with loving, open arms. So can we get healed so we can feel the same way when they run back? That's so good. Even in their mess. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I'm sure there's people listening who are like, oh my goodness, I, I don't even know where to start or what to do, or their pain is just rising up because they're hearing the story and they've found other ways to cope, but now the pain's there. Would you just pray over them for their journey and for what, what people are encountering and, and invite listeners to just bring to mind those people in your life who you right now in your life are prodigals, who are running from healthy relationships, who are running from the Lord, who are who are making poor choices that are causing harm all around them, who are making big messes. Yeah. Just how, do, how do you pray for them?
2: So would I would love for to our pray. Listeners? So dear Jesus, Father God, and Holy Spirit, we just welcome you into each home, each residence, each place of each listener. And we ask that you would just minister to their hearts right now and even at this moment to start giving them a sense of he- of hope and of healing and of placing this whole situation into your hands. We thank you, Father, that you are so ready to forgive. And uh, so we ask that you would give us the same heart of forgiveness with all the wounding and all the hurt that we've experienced ourselves. And we ask that you would help us to dismantle that mountain of emotions, of experiences that has seemed looming so big compared you, to, uh, to our situation. And we just ask that you would um, start helping us to identify what needs to be released and that we can place it into our hands. And we trust you in that journey. It's not difficult if we walk it with you. So we just thank you for what you're going to do in the days ahead to give us a heart of forgiveness, but also uh, a heart of compassion as we do the divine exchange of forgiving and being able to see uh, the hope and the blessing And uh, we ask right now, if there's been uh, wounds that have happened due to what I've shared, that you would just heal them and minister to each heart right now. And we just give you praise and adoration that this is a whole different way of thinking and that this is going to be good in the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. So we've been talking with Judy R. Slay, S-L-E-G-H, who wrote the book, Help, I Have a Prodigal. And we encourage you to go to her Facebook page, Instagram account, find her on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Book Distributors, and Redemption Press. And um, just be encouraged. There's always hope. Yes, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for listening to Dare to Believe Podcast. We are grateful for
0: you, our listeners. You can find out more about us at our website, daretobelieve.info. That's dare the number two believe.info. Also, to make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to us on Apple, iTunes, or however you listen to your podcasts. And go ahead and leave a five star rating while you're at it. Thank you, guys.